we are joined by Alfredo Hickman, head of information security at Obsidian Security. Alfredo has a military background in our prep here. We were just talking about it, and uh, it's pretty amazing, and also works as a mentor. So we're thrilled to have him as a guest today to gain his insights about what's going on in the industry and how he took his journey from protecting the U.S. to now uh, being a key member of the Obsidian Security team. So welcome, Alfredo. Excited to have you on the podcast today. Hey, thanks so much, Gene. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening in. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'll digress for one second because it was just a topic we were talking about. I was saying my youngest daughter just turned 18, so my kids are now adults. And Alfredo was talking about uh, what he was doing when he was 18, and uh, it was uh, on the front lines doing some pretty scary stuff. But just tell the quick story. What's the first thing you did? Oh, yeah. We were just talking about that right now. So my brother and I, we were both in high school when September 11th happened. So probably like a lot of other Americans, you know, it, it uh, September 11th, uh, a lot of folks around the world, it, it kind of changed life for us, right? It was pretty impactful and everything else. And my brother and I, you know, we had uh, pretty quickly on discussed about, hey, let's get through high school as fast as possible and let's get to the military and go and serve. So we were going to night school, summer school. We were doing everything we could to finish that last year or so of high school and basically get out into the military. I joined the Marine Corps Infantry. My brother joined the Army Artillery. And then as was pretty common at the time, it was like, hey, you're going to go to boot camp. You're going to go to your MOS training, your occupational, uh, you know, your specialty training. And then you're going to get overseas as fast oh, wow. as possible. Oh. So we were just reflecting on what a whirlwind, you know, it was yeah. to, to reflect on, hey, you know, just a year or so ago, we were in high school and now we're, you know, in the global war on terror doing that sort of stuff. And yeah. Yeah, quite amazing. Well, thank you to you and your brother and everybody else that helps make this country what it is. And I really appreciate it. Uh, so thank you very much for your service. Absolutely. Uh, awesome. So let's uh, jump into it. Let's talk a little bit about your journey and then maybe talk about you went from the military to your current role as a leader at Obsidian. And maybe in that you can talk to us a little bit about Obsidian security. And so our listeners know a little bit about what you guys do. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'll start there presently. Obsidian security, I'm currently the head of information security, also IT and then governance, risk and compliance at Obsidian. We're a relatively mid-stage startup right now. We're a little north of 100 people and uh, we are laser focused on staff security. So software as a service security, we secure hmm. the uh, most prevalent SaaS applications, Microsoft 365, Okta, Salesforce, Workday, you know, you name it from a SaaS perspective, and we're in there securing it from a threat management, a posture management, an integration risk management. We basically allow our customers to extend their security capabilities and controls into their staff application install base so that they can start getting that visibility those analytics, that posture understanding, the risk understanding of their data integration flows and access to basically be able to secure their SaaS. That's what I'm at and that's what I'm doing right now. But awesome. you know, it kind of we alluded from the very early start to now, it has yeah. been a very indirect kind of journey. Yeah. I think we use the word unconventional. So I guess just to tie off on Obsidian for our listeners that are new to security. Another hot startup for you guys to look at. I'm sure you guys are always looking for great people. So let's just do a plug for Obsidian and all the great things you guys are doing as you grow the business. So so let's talk about this unconventional path from uh, the war on terror to protecting SaaS apps. Uh, how, how did that all happen? We'll start with the superhero origin story here. 
So let's see. I was born in the 80s. I grew up in the 90s. And the internet, when I was a kid, the internet was just starting to become really popular, right? Been around for a while, but it was being commercialized. And there was companies that were really starting to spring up that were really focused on the internet and and kind of leveraging those opportunities there. My mother had gotten exposed to computers when I was a kid, and she would bring home her work. She'd bring home stacks of books and manuals and computer pieces and all sorts of stuff, right? So as a kid, I was kind of exposed to that. And I thought it was really cool. I thought it was really, really neat. It was technical. It was hands-on. The future just seems so bright with computers and internet technology. And it was just fascinating to me. And, you know, at the time, internet was really starting to get popular. There was some streaming stuff that was starting to happen with the internet and everything. And I think, you know, I probably like a lot of other kids in my generation, I was fascinated with it. I wanted to play the video games. I wanted to listen to music. I wanted to get on the bulletin board systems and do all that kind of stuff. But I think something that separated me from a lot of my buddies was that I was more interested in how it worked and how it all came together and what the implications of that was than just consuming it for entertainment purposes. I still love the entertainment stuff, but I was really interested to understand how it worked and what the possibilities were and what we could do with this technology. So I started getting really into that really early on. I was probably like 10, 12 in my early teens or so. And I was you know, I'd go to the public library, I'd read stacks of books, I'd go home and I'd tinker around, I'd build a few PC kits that you could order in a magazine right. <laughs> and those sorts of things. And I was real fascinated by that. So I thought, you know, hey, this is going to be my path. This is what I want to do. And obviously going through high school, you know, September 11th happened and I took kind of a detour. There was that. So I took the detour there in the military stuff that I covered before. I enlisted in the Marine Corps and I wanted to to go fight. So I, I joined the infantry. You know, I took my ASVAB. I did really well in my scores. And they said cyber wasn't a huge thing in the military at that point. Early real, days, right. Yeah. Early days. It was really specialized at that time. So it wasn't as common as an MOS as it is now. But, uh, you know, they said, hey, you could go to comms, you could go to Intel, you could do whatever you want. And I said, hey, I want to go infantry. So I went into the infantry and I did really, really well in that. I got promoted pretty quickly. You know, I had a lot of responsibilities. I did some really neat stuff in the war on terror, personal security, kind of all that kind of stuff. I deployed two times in uniform and then one time out of uniform as a civilian on the front line. And I realized that as much as I loved the kinetic stuff and kicking down doors and doing all that kind of stuff, I was like, hey, there's a lot of other things that I want to do. And I also had an experience. I had an experience in Christmas of 2004 where my platoon, we were on a, on a rest rotation. We were actually down. We weren't patrolling. We had, in 2004, 1st Marine Division, we fought in some – it was a really rough time in the War on Terror. Mm-hmm. We had uh, the Battle of Najaf in August. We had the Second Battle of Fallujah, Phantom Fury, just a few months after in 2004. And 1st Marine Division was right in the middle of that stuff. So it was pretty rough. On Christmas, my unit, my platoon, we were uh, taking a break. Christmas, we went to Christmas service. We did all that kind of stuff. But after the chaplains had conducted their Christmas service, they came and they asked us. We were in a mobile infantry unit. We had um, up armored Humvees and, and those sorts of things right when they had first started coming out. So they asked us if we could take them to another base so that they could conduct Christmas service there. So we said, hey, absolutely. You know, if the if the chaplains come and they say yeah. they got done early, let's do it, right? Yeah. So we saddled up and we escorted these chaplains from Najah to Karbala. 
And on the route from Najaf to Karbala on Christmas Day, I got hit with an IED. It, it was in a choke point. We really couldn't avoid it. We had traffic. You couldn't really back up. You kind of had to go through the area. We went through the area and it was, we hit the jackpot there. So it was pretty scary. Fortunately, you know, the way that the IED exploded, where we were positioned, the fact that we were in up armored Humvees, it kind of destroyed the vehicles. But inside the two vehicles that got hit the hardest, we were still relatively uninjured. We were beaten Mm -hmm. up a little bit, but we were uninjured. Mm -hmm. So after that experience and another experience that I had later in Afghanistan, I was like, hey, you know, I kind of I want to pivot out of this world and I want to go pursue my first love of technology and security in particular. So I'm from San Antonio, Texas, you know, Obsidian Security. We're based out of California. We're remote. We got folks all over, but we were founded in California. So I was stationed in California as well. I was already familiar with that area, but I came back home to Texas and San Antonio, where I live is military city, USA. We have a bunch of air force and army bases, joint bases. We got a huge intelligence presence here in San Antonio with Texas cyber and all that kind of stuff. I basically went right from the Marine Corps to working with the air force to go help build up some of their technical capabilities and support of Air Force Cyber Command when it was being stood up and everything, Mm. and a little bit before that. So I got exposed to big cyber with the Air Force, a little bit of it while I was still in uniform, and I decided that that's what I was going to do. I just went full tilt. found your next mission, right? I found my next mission. It was a really awesome way to utilize some of the experiences, some of the skills, some of the passion that I had for technology and still be able to support the national security mission in a very different context, in a very different setting than where I was previously. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a great story. And I think that we've had many military people on, and I think from an infantry perspective to where you sit today, it's using many of the same skills, right? And that's, uh, I really hope the infantry people that are listening who think, you know, I'm only meant to carry a gun and, you know, kick down doors. There's a whole afterlife and a need for people that are well-trained, goal-oriented, you know, understand how to take direction, but also know how to think. These are all the things that we need in cyber. So I think you're just a, a great living example of what I hope many people hear from the show. So so just change the topics just a little bit. You know, cybersecurity is really fast moving and ever changing. But you know, what are your thoughts on some of the trends that we're going to see going to 2023? And for you know, our listeners that are trying to learn about cyber and, and think about where the puck's going and, and heading in that direction, what, what do you think are some of the big trends for 2023? Yeah, folks say history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. We're still seeing some of the common things that we see around business email compromise, social engineering, and spear phishing, I don't think is going away anytime soon. But a trend that I'm starting to see, and not just because I'm in the SaaS security space, but you know, you see these breaches really frequently now in the news, right? It is these enterprise software as a service applications that we depend on, like GitLab, like Salesforce, like Okta as our identity provider, right? Our our SSO and our identity provider that are now becoming the target, direct targets for compromise because they sit at the core of critical business processes, contain very rich sets of data and are integrated with both on-prem and cloud applications. So they serve as that kind of supply chain, third-party kind of nexus into both on-prem assets as well as cloud access. So that's something that I think is a trend that we're starting to see now that is really, really hitting home for a lot of folks. Yeah, I think spot on. And we definitely see that in many of our clients as well. 
So moving to the next question, you know, when we think about cybersecurity, it is so fast moving and then the need for people to be somebody working in this industry, you've got to be constantly learning. What can you tell us about the SANS Institute, which I'm a big fan of, but tell our listeners, what is the SANS Institute and tell us a little about the organization and how you've been involved in it? Absolutely. I am a huge fan of SANS. I have a long relationship with the organization just to be fully transparent there. You know, SANS, there's a lot of really great educational institutions in this world. There's a lot of really great organizations that are teaching cybersecurity and that are teaching related skills and everything else. But SANS objectively is at the top of that list. They're just a phenomenal, high caliber, high quality organization that's been around for a long time that has probably one of the most comprehensive catalogs of information security education on the planet, right? SANS is the educational body that is focused on cybersecurity. GIAC is the related body that is focused on certification. Hmm. SANS Technology Institute is the accredited higher learning organization of SANS that provides a master's degree level education, graduate level certifications. And I believe they recently even did an undergraduate bachelor's wow. course in cybersecurity as well. I'm a graduate of the SANS Technology Institute. I completed their master's of information security engineering program a few years ago. And it was without a doubt, one of the most rigorous educational experiences I've ever had. I mean, the academic rigor, the theory, the practical hands-on keyboard, technical application, all combined in this really well-done academic curriculum to get you a master's degree program is just a phenomenal experience. I've also been a SANS mentor through their mentorship program. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. And uh, we talk with our listeners quite a bit and say, do you need certifications? Don't you need certifications? That's a slightly different discussion than what we're trying to point here. So what you do need is to find reputable places that have access to materials that are valuable. The listeners have heard me talk about it, but I mean, my ultimate exposure, first exposure to really understanding cybersecurity, I, through happenstance, became the VP sales of a $40 million SIM provider and knew nothing about cybersecurity and invited a SANS guest speaker to come in and talk about cybersecurity. And, and it was the first time I realized like, wow, like if we do our jobs as uh, vendors trying to help protect critical infrastructure or corporations or anything in between that, we're making a difference in the world. We're like, we're protecting the world's IP, you know, we're, we're protecting money. It gave me a bigger mission as to, and I've been in cyber now 17 plus years because of it. So. Please, uh, yeah, for our listeners, check out SANS Institute. It's a great place. And Alfredo and I both vouch that it's a super credible one for our new listeners, our new to cybersecurity people that want to learn about it. You'd hit on mentoring and something you've been doing for many years, but what are some of the best practices uh, that you can share with our listeners about managing relationships with your mentor? I think regardless of where most people are in their professional journey, their career or whatever, I think there's always a role to be both a mentor and a mentee. I think there's a lot of knowledge to share. Nobody knows everything. And even somebody starting in their journey can pass on useful information that can be valuable to others. I myself hugely value the mentor-mentee relationship throughout the course in my career, both in the military, out of the military, as I've been promoted and kind of moving through my career. I've always sought out both more junior individuals that I could pass on some of those lessons learned, that I could pass on some of those experiences, as well as more senior leaders that I could learn from so I can benefit from some of their wisdom. So 
some of the best practices that I think you could take to make sure that you are being respectful of your mentors or mentees, that you're actually accomplishing what you set forth to achieve, is to be very transparent with what the goals of the relationship are, what you're trying to learn or what you're trying to pass on, what you're expecting in terms of how you're going to communicate, how often you're going to communicate, so that folks can really go in on the same page and really be respectful of each other's time. Yeah, I think great advice. And uh, I think when the world's good to you, you got to give back. And I think that's where, you know, the opportunity to mentor somebody, it can be really fulfilling. And we think we're too busy, but you should be never too busy to give back and and help make the world a better place in terms of just giving somebody some free guidance on on what to do. And then equally, don't think I'm older than you. Uh, I'm 53. And I'm still learning. I'm really fortunate to have you know, three, four, five great mentors that I can call in different situations and kind of bounce ideas off of things. And uh, it's great to have that because that's how we ultimately uh, progress. And, and we're not having to reinvent everything or invent everything, right? We're just learning from other people's mistakes. Go, okay, oh, that, all right, let me avoid that third rail and let me do more of that because that made that person really successful. So I think on both sides of it, that's great guidance for all of us to think about. And I I plugged Tanya Jenkins, uh, We Hack Purple, uh, She Hacks Purple, on the often because she has the um, Mentor Mondays on Twitter, or I think Mentor Monday Cyber, but we'll put it in the show notes for those that are looking for a mentor, jump on Twitter, let people know what you're looking for. And I've seen lots of connections uh, being done through that little venue. So great opportunity. So Alfredo, uh, you know, first and foremost, thank you for being a great guest, as well as thank you for your service and, and sharing some stories. I think our military listeners should really resonate with what you're saying and know that there's a whole career of, you know, let's not be shy, well-paying jobs that are waiting for you if you're taking a lot of uh, the great advice that Alfredo's given from seeking out uh, mentors to go into the Sands Institute and uh, learning about what's going on. So, uh, Alfredo, thank you for being a a great guest. Uh, As a reminder to our listeners looking to up their cybersecurity skills, you can get one year free of ThreadX Academy, which is 140 hours of the latest, greatest cybersecurity uh, materials. You can find more information by going to academy.threadx.com and using the promo code podcast. Thank you again, Alfredo. You were an awesome guest and uh, really enjoyed uh, getting to know you today. Thank you, Gene. Thank you so much, everybody. Mm-hmm.